I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We Love to Watch has no diplomatic immunity. We've never had it. I don't know why you'd think we have it. You can shoot us whenever you like. I do. <laughs> the, ro- the royal we when Aaron is speaking has yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. We and- as a podcast don't. Peter doesn't. I do. So it's, it's a long story. We don't have time to get into it, but I do have. But uh, Liberia loves Aaron Armstrong. I, I've never got a speeding ticket. <laughs> don't know if it's related. Um, I have assumed. Did you pull out your copy of Lethal Weapon 2? Yeah, I'm like, here's my license, you son of a bitch. And then you uh, flip out a portable DVD player with Lethal Weapon 2 in the tray. Yeah. And then you, you and the cop. I've been watching this here. the whole time when I'm driving. You're saying I'm not focusing? How could I be speeding when I'm watching Lethal Weapon 2 on DVD? And then you and the cops sit in the back of your car and watch Lethal Weapon 2 together. Yeah. Oh, the cops love it. Are you serious? Just like it's tucked between the chairs on the little yeah. console thing. Oh, man. Cops love these movies. Oh, this part's uh, coming up. This part's great. Where we love to watch a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and our trast- contrast. Um, we, it's a new year. It's 2024, Peter. Mm-hmm. You may be asking yourselves a lot of questions. Are they back? I'm thinking we're back. <laughs> um, but we're we're not going to commit to full long, we love to watch three-hour episodes. We cut them down to two, two hours and 55 minutes for you, the, the listener, yet. We're not there. We're like, we need another short month where we can do hour-long episodes and just kind of get back into the groove. And we also aren't going to do four weeks. We need three weeks. And so the only thing that made logical sense to us under those specific set of circumstances is to do something that we said we were going to back, we were going to do all the way back in 2017. We did Lethal Weapon, a movie both of us love, for Shane Black Christmas in 2017. And as we were talking about that movie, I think we, we said, like, I would love to find a reason to do the other three movies for, for a variety of reasons. But they're, yeah. they're, Honestly, they are well shot, enjoyable, go down smooth for the most part, action movies. And we like talking about Lethal Weapon stuff. And so when we were looking for what's a month that we can do that they don't have to be overly long or complicated episodes. We don't need to go every little thing because we did that with Lethal Weapon. We talked so much about the series, its creation. We can just kind of talk about these movies and whether we'd like them. Or what major problems we have with them. And especially so we, in a world where both of us have in the past four or five years um, gone from vaguely not liking cops or specifically not, not liking cops to having like a fairly uh, anti-cop stance. I would say we have, we have an anti-cop stance. Um, and we were, we almost did it a couple years ago, but then we did the Mad Max movies and we're like it's probably too much mel gibson like we've for a show that 
does not like Mel Gibson as a human being, as most shows. If, I mean, if you, you're listening to a show that likes Mel Gibson as a human being, I guess you're listening to fucking Glenn Beck's Happy Hour or something like that. Like, I don't know. Um, but here's – but we, we we did the Mad Max movies. We did Maverick, a movie that you and I both love. We're going to do these three Lethal Weapon movies, and I got to tell you, there's still – I was going through Mel Gibson's filmography. Man, I'd love to do the original theatrical cut of Payback at some point, and there's a few other ones. And if you want to hear our thoughts about Mel Gibson, I know we talked about it at length in both the uh, 2017 Lethal Weapon episode we did and the first Mad Max episode that we did. He's a terrible human being, and you're – desire to hear us talk about him uh, may vary. And you may not want to watch these movies because you've – in your film filmographic diet, you've cut him out. Yeah. He's he's like the carbohydrates for your Atkins and you're like, no, thank you. Guess what? I respect you wholeheartedly. He's a terrible human being. Everyone needs to draw their own lines. No judgment if he's in your line. You might judge us for him not being over our line and that's fine too. It, you feel free to judge. These movies are also bad because they have a like th- these movies are doubly bad because they have a terrible, terrible circle underline terrible message. The, the theme and the message of these movies is straight garbage town. It's not quite Death Wish three, but like it is like if if you're thinking of like moral lessons for movies, like Death Wish three is like high up there and then the lethal weapon series is just slightly under because these movies not just like basically say that cops should be able to do whatever they want cops are the best things ever they're out there protecting them they also laugh like they think it's fun when cops without undebatably abuse their powers as cops. These cops fuck with people. They threaten random jaywalkers. They shoot tires out of cars like as a like a as a gag. Like these are cops who like routinely abuse their powers as police officers and you're supposed to and you're supposed to cheer for them. And at that same time minimizes any sort of like uh, the the biggest joke in all these series is the is the therapist who's played in uh, in all four movies is like, hey, do and you want to talk about by Richard Donner's wife, the director? Yep. Like, do you do you want to talk about your feelings? You, it's like stuff it, lady. Cops don't have feelings. We're part of the job. Like these movies are from a strict thematic perspective, just hot garbage. Yeah. I will say two things here, really quickly, yeah. about Shane Black. As, uh, uh, we're a podcast that uh, likes to love most of Shane Black's work. We're yeah. probably going to continue to cover most of his movies that isn't yeah. The Predator. Um, the uh, Shane Black was in an interview uh, seven years ago, let's say, uh, around Nice Guys time. Um, a movie we both love. Yeah. And he said two things that I think kind of help me understand this whole situation. One is that he says uh, the reason he left the series uh, during Lethal Weapon 2. So he wrote a script that was in some way adapted into the Lethal Weapon 2 script. There's fragments, remnants of it. He claims that his original script of it is 
uh, in his mind. Um, and it was not uh, made under the name Lethal Weapon 2. It had its own its own name. Um, uh, he said that that was the best thing he ever wrote. It's also yep. sort of an elusive object that very few people have actually read. It's yep. not He's never released that, it. There's a lot of good Reddit threads about people trying to find it. He says he has it, but it's he has like... He has it on paper, a paper copy on a typewriter, and he says no one will ever see it. And it's not a blacklist thing where it's on a PDF copy on a website somewhere where, like, I read a great uh, Wachowski sisters script called Carnivore. They wrote a horror horror movie about killer vegans that eat humans or something. Yeah. Uh, I read that, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and I loved it. Like, it's not that kind of blacklist no. script. It's genuinely not there. But he yeah. says it's great. Multiple people have said it. It is a script. different kind of blacklist script. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame blacklist. You shame blacklist. Uh, and he said that it's the best thing he's ever written, but he was, you know, he when the time came to wipe his hands, he's like, I got paid. I walked away from the series. Um, Richard Donner wanted to make lighter movies. And in that same interview, he was like, Joel Silver and I are still making movies together. We're still friends. Um, Donner and I haven't talked in a long time, but like, you know, I don't begrudge him or Mel Gibson or Danny Glover for continuing on with the series. Richard Donner always had a lighter touch. He wanted yeah. to make these movies funnier. And then something else he said was, um, I, if you hand me a piece of paper and say, write a comedy script or even a dark comedy script, I'm going to give you the worst shit you've ever read in your entire life. Yeah. If you give me a script and you say, let's punch this up, let's make this funny, I'll give you a lot of great jokes. He's like, yeah. I just, I can't write a script, a, a comedy script from, from nothing. I need to write something dark and then lighten it up with comedy. And he's like, every one of my scripts, I write them as bleak and straightforward as possible. And then I add humor to kind of like release yeah. some of the valves. That's how I write scripts, which I think is very telling for Lethal Weapon 2. Um, and it's very telling for Lethal Weapon 1. And I think Lethal Weapon 1 is actually very underrated on a filmic level. It's underrated on a script r- level now. Now, yeah. At the time, it was it got accolades. But now, yeah. I think it it's lost some some juice. I think it's as good as Die Hard in its own way. Yeah. And as good as To Live and Die in L.A. in its own way. Um, because it's a movie about – it's a sun-soaked L.A. noir. There are shots in it that yeah. are beautiful. Um, and then, uh, the way that you're watching Lethal Weapon 1, and a lot of us can kind of hide behind, let's say, or find comfort in the fact that you're watching essentially Copaganda, is that you're watching a dark script about fucked up people that are trying to protect themselves, but, like, the movie seems to fundamentally understand that something unethical and strange is happening, and this entire world is kind of bleak and poisoned, and these guys are just trying to scratch out some justice, which yeah. a lot of us accept fucked up noir movies on those yeah. grounds, right? Um, genre conventions allow us a safe space to identify with characters that in the real world we would hate. Yeah. However, Lethal Weapons, it, it literally bleeds into them. Yeah. Lethal Weapon, part of half of Lethal Weapon 2 and definitely 3 and 4 to some degree uh, eventually become just really light comedies where the excesses of police brutality and the excesses of uh, Riggs' demented state are no longer sort of like trademarks in a dark script. They're now jokes that Richard Donner can make. And when something, when something like bleak is played as a, as a gag, 
Um, it plays very differently when it's played as like, hey, this. I mean, there's some dark humor in this, but this is this is how a lot of cops are. Like, you know, like the, yeah. When something is played as like, hey, here's the here's the dark reality of the world versus like, uh, hey, here's a couple goofballs on the force. Uh, it becomes actually way darker in your head because all of a sudden you realize you're watching something that can be taken as copaganda. It can be taken as an endorsement. Yeah. It can be taken without a lot of chewing and digestion. <laughs> like, Lethal yeah. Weapon 1, I think it requires a little bit of chewing and digestion for you to romanticize it. You don't have to do a lot of that in 2, 3, and 4. Each one easier to digest. <laughs> so, you're 100% right. And the thing about Martin Riggs, so in that same interview, Shane Black also said that he doesn't like Lethal Weapon 3 or 4. I think he may have said he never watched them, but he's aware of what they the, the stories were. And he didn't like – he never – he had no interest in them because they ruined Martin Riggs' character, which is that they made him – in the first Lethal Weapon – when uh, Murtaugh is partnered with with Riggs, he's not like – Martin Riggs is not like a beloved police officer. He's the mad dog of the force that everyone's scared of and this guy is going to go get people no killed or kill himself. The indictment of the force is they can't get rid of him. Like you should fire that guy instead of being like, let's give him a partner who's grumpy. Um, but like there, there is some darkness in there that he's not a beloved – icon of the force and like the kind of part point of lethal weapon is that like he finds love a love for murtaugh and he kind of gives up his death wish to some degree in order to do something that's right and so yeah it is it, it there is more to chew on in that movie and it's not making him necessarily a hero but finding something redeemable in this cop that lost everything and is basically going on a suicide mission to yeah. kill himself or kill bad guys or whatever comes next because he is it is uh, pathological for him to continue in that and so <clears throat> we we talked about this in 2017 even though lethal weapon is like it's the template buddy cop movie or the, the you know that sort of buddy cop or like the, the, the partners that formula they're not buddies in that movie and it's funny, too, because I've watched all three that we're going to cover at the point of recording this one. And when people think of the Lethal Weapon series and specifically the relationship between Murtaugh and Riggs, they are not thinking of Lethal Weapon 1. They are thinking of Lethal Weapon 3. Lethal Weapon 3 is like the where they are just buddies doing a job and they have all their big action sequences and everything else and my guess is that if you're a general member of the film going public and you're thinking of Riggs and Murtaugh you're thinking of their relationship in three you're not thinking of Lethal Weapon one that's my we'll talk about that more next week I just think Lethal Weapon three is like the there's no darkness between those two characters in that movie he they're Riggs is a little reckless and he feigns craziness to get the job done, but they are just – they're buddies who respect each other and do the job and get annoyed with each other and exchange barbs. But they are they are at a place of like love. Even Lethal Weapon 2, while they have more of that earlier on, 
there is like some whether it works for you or not some darkness where all of a sudden like Riggs decides I have a death wish again and I'm going to kill these guys and I don't care if it's against the force and Murtaugh has to make the choice to go and say okay I love you enough that I'm going to give up everything that I have to to side with you which none of those choices end up mattering in 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 three or four so that that's kind of my that's kind of my my thesis that like Lethal Weapon as a series and the relationship and the tone of it is remembered for like three most explicitly, which bleeds into four, but four is just a less well-remembered movie and it was a less of a big box office hit than three. But that, yeah, there there was a degradation in that. Now, here's my other thing about these movies, and we said this in 2017 too. These movies are not good on most defensible levels past one. <laughs> Uh, two, I, two, a two little is bit. still a good action movie, but like on no, so, ethical so, level, it, it really, really fades. So, my point is that all of them are good as brainless, funny action movies. Richard Donner can direct the fuck out of action sequences. Yeah, Mel Gibson, for all of his terribleness, is very likable in these movies. Uh, Danny Glover is, of course, very likable. Joe Pesci, even when he's given nothing to do, is very funny. Renee, like, it has a really good cast. The only thing, and I will talk about it in four, that just does not work is they kept trying to add more more funny casting things is, holy cow, is Chris Rock bad in four? Well, I mean, it's not his fault. It's the character, but we'll get to it. But that was like one. They fuck you on the cell phones. That is that is one extra layer of frosting. Too many over this, like, fucking wise-ass cake that they got going here but uh yeah it's I, so these movies are both very complicated and very simple and that i don't think that i would rise to the defense of any of these movies beyond just yeah this is a fun two-hour watch especially for three and four two is a little meatier but i also think yes. that's why it works with what we're trying to do here which is like let's talk about these movies how often do people talk about Lethal Weapon 2, 3, and 4? I don't know. I think Lethal Weapon probably gets some play. So we we like these enough uh, to, I think, just to do kind of short episodes on them. And I, I again, to my surprise, Peter, I had a really good time with 3 and 4, too. Again, not in a defensible way. But goddamn, some of those action sequences are so fucking good. Like they it don't is an come- eminently they're an eminently watchable series, which I don't think you can say about most action series beyond one. I think like Rambo shits the bed after two. Like I think well, like- Die Hard. We I mean Die Hard. We like all four of them. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. I think. I think as a whole, the Die Hard movies are better than the Lethal Weapon movies, but they are Die Hard 1 and 3 are are perfect, are just about perfect movies. They're Swiss clock movies. Yeah. The Lethal Weapon movies are directed by Richard Donner, who uh, has moments of genius and a wild sense of clarity and you can hand he is he's he's like what he's one of those guys that is just uh um he's a he's a workhorse like yeah you hand him a script it doesn't matter if he has a personal connection to it he'll go shoot the fuck out of it but 
he's he is not someone who is focused on having a clockwork clean clear script like John McTiernan before you start shooting because he's not a script writer so John uh, John McTiernan would shoot these those movies uh you know um, and, and Randy Harlan shot too, obviously, but like John McTiernan would shoot Die Hard and he would like beat the fuck out of the script and the editing room. He'd be like, this needs to work here and the timing yep. needs to work. Richard Donner was not that guy. Richard Donner was really fighting in the first movie and in the second movie to be have a looser sense of freedom to just make a wild L.A. action movie. Yep. And in one he ended up having to basically shoot the script plus a few uh, indulgences. And in two, three, four, each one, the movies are essentially improv Like, yeah. they took pieces of Shane Black's script in two and grafted it into a new script. And then Richard Donner, throughout the entire script process, essentially tortured the screenwriter into being like, I want to go shoot a scene on this weird fucked up highway uh, and have a surfboard go through a guy's brains. <laughs> yeah. And the and the screenwriter would be like, well, in, if you kill that guy now, he can't be in, you know, scene 50. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and Richard Donner would be like, I want to go shoot that scene now and I want it to fit in the movie. And you just basically torture the screenwriter. This guy, Boam, ended up coming back in the third one, getting fired, getting brought back, like... They are a looser, messier beast to the Lethal Weapon movies. The Die Hard movies are, for all intents and purposes, and taking into account the fact that most of the Die Hard scripts were not written as Die Hard scripts, they were just grafted later into that, they are attempting to be a well-oiled machine. Lethal Weapon movies, they're like, Richard Donner got an idea for an action scene, and now you're killing that character 50 minutes earlier than you thought you were. See ya. <laughs> yeah, and also, who can we have in the scene that's exchanging barbs with these people so they can riff off each other? By the way, uh, who's uh, Boehm? Jeffrey Boehm? That guy had quite the 1989. Uh, yeah. Because he also wrote Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was the number two grossing movie of 1989. <laughs> Peter, I didn't know this. Lethal Weapon 2 Number three grossing movie of 1989. 1989 was, like, considered, like, the first year of summer blockbusters where, yes. like, obviously there were blockbuster movies. But, like, 89 had, like, all of these, like, Ghostbusters 2, Batman. Like, it was kind of where they – it was kind of the first year that they were really doing, like, marketing – they kind of became the modern version of the summer blockbuster marketing series. Um, and, yeah, Lethal Weapon 2 was huge. It was the number three grossing movie, beat stuff like Ghostbusters 2 and other stuff that, you know, were PG fair and easier for uh, – to get more box office. Boehm wrote two of the scripts of the top three, yep. which is which is pretty impressive. Uh, this also is credited as, as the first of the non-special event movies, like a Star Wars, to have the just fucking cut to the title sequence. Like, the first thing you see is, like, you hear a car driving and you see Lethal Weapon 2 and big gray letters hit the screen and there's no other – opening credits like that was a that was kind of a first for a non uh non star wars non like ghostbusters type like uh genre fair um yeah. and two and three both start 
Actually, all no, four. No, uh, three, three. No, no, three starts with the long fire thing and all the credits yes. to that Eric Clapton song. But <laughs> much two, worse. Three and four all start with like mid action scene, crazy yep. shit is happening, you know. Yep. But yeah, three has this incredibly overwrought we'll, we'll Eric talk Clapton about we'll, we'll, we'll sting song. We'll talk about next week. Yeah. It's absolutely fucking garbage. So um, but uh, but yeah, you're right. Like that, that this movie deserves credit for sort of being being a. One of the 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 the, uh, the movies that kind of like convinced producers like every summer yep. we need to pump out something that will get a a all four quadrants asses in seats you know yeah like yep. um and what's funny is in the first movie they didn't want to cast Mel Gibson as Riggs they yep. the producers fought this and I can't help but think that Mel Gibson is the reason these movies work. On many levels, and one of which yeah. is that the Lethal Weapon movies are movies that like women would go see with their boyfriends, yeah. or their husbands, or their girlfriends because they thought Mel Gibson was hot. Yeah, and like it was something they just the the male producers sitting in office didn't predict, which is that like Lethal like Lethal Weapon is Mel Gibson. Like yeah. you cast another, I think like. Matthew Modine and some other guys were like considered for the role. But, Love like, the, to see the Modine version of this. <laughs> like the sexuality of yeah. Mel Gibson uh, was, I mean, even Shane Black, he said he's like, I doubted Mel Gibson like completely. I was like, is this guy going to have an Australian accent and pretend to be an LA cop? Like Mel Gibson was really early in his career at that point. Yeah, 87, like, yeah. Like, he, he had become a crossover star from international cinema into America. However, he was still an Aussie, right? Yeah. And uh, he, in these movies, is so charming. He's got that really distinct long hair, and people keep giving him shit about needing to cut it. And you really buy um, his character growth as a person throughout these movies that like in this movie, he gets sober and he starts being, uh, sorry, in this movie he gets sober. And then he, he starts heading down the route of being a, a, a respectable guy, more or less. Yeah. And then he, he takes several back steps because, uh, Shane Black originally planned on killing Riggs at the end yeah. of this movie. And they had to poorly shoot that and then edit around that and then reshoot it and all that. And then in three, well, and four, they and they almost killed a more successful guy. But yeah. in two, he like it's supposed to be sort of a tragic arc. Like he's getting happier and better, and then uh, he falls down the hole and becomes a vigilante. And it's supposed to be sort of like a fall from grace. That's fun to watch. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and they almost killed him in Donner's version too. They shot two. They still they shot, shot two endings. Uh, and the, the ending, that, the, the ending the end that was shot it was the shot with him dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. Just, yeah. So they, I mean, they still planned uh, to kill him even with the Shane Black, but the audiences were like this. And Richard Donner wanted to make more movies. Like it's as yeah. simple as that. Uh, they and are and still talking about really quick, really yeah. quickly. Like Mel Gibson as a star. Like yeah, we've talked about the hair. We've also like I think in our previous uh, Lethal Weapon episode we talked about like the fact that like he is in great shape and you believe that he can snap like five dudes necks. Uh, is it yeah. four or five people? He snaps their necks in the first movie. Yeah. Um, a lot. He does a few throat it. rips, gets the Turkey. Yes. Yes. Uh, people try and get a shot at the title and they are not successful. Yeah. Um, 
you believe it, but like his physicality in that, a lot of people are talking about like what Harrison Ford looked like at Temple of Doom and Last yeah. Crusade. Now they're like, this guy would be considered chunky for a Marvel star now, yeah. right? Mel Gibson is not chunky. He no. is lean, mean, skinny. You could see the hips, but he's muscular in the way that a like a boxer or a guy that works like manual yeah. labor is. Yeah. And Mel Gibson, I talked a little bit, I think, last time about how, and by last time, I mean like five years ago, <laughs> yeah. um, about like one of his techniques for staying in shape was he had like a stand, uh, like a, a child's trampoline that he would jump on and like, like help work on, do core exercises with a yeah. trampoline in front of his trailer. Like he was not like, uh, uh, watching his salt intake in milligrams per day the way Chris Evans had to for 10 or 15 well, years of his career. Well, and also, like, especially in two and three, he has super horny sex scenes, right? Yes. Which is different than a lot of the other, like, fucking Rambo doesn't have a sex scene. Schwarzenegger doesn't have sex scenes. Like, there's not a diehard movie where he, like, fucks Holly really hard. Like, there is, like, you know, two and three have like three to the point that it's like become a. Uh, I mean, it's already kind of parroting the Jaws scene, but like that three scene where they're comparing scars while having, you know, sa- like that's their foreplay for sex. It was like in every National Lampoon Zucker Abrams comedy for the next 10 years where there yes. was like, a, you know, so, but they are like steamy scenes. And yeah, he does look good without his shirt on yeah and like and it's you can see why it had a lot of like sex appeal in a way that the other action movies of the era didn't and why they were such big movies lethal weapon 2 also critic hit like um people loved it people thought it was good it wasn't like Die Hard 2, people did not like when it came out. They thought it was a retread of the first one and people did not – like the critics were pretty pretty vicious to like, oh, this guy's ending up in the exact same situation. Now, we talked about how fun that is and how it's still really good. Who cares if it's the same situation? But Lethal Weapon 2, people were talking about um, uh, Pesci should get nominated for an Oscar. Like for a supporting this is before he won for Goodfellas, of course. But they're like, if this was the type of if the it, it, Pesci was used as an example of how the Academy doesn't the way they do, uh, which we still talk about today is like they never nominate comedic performances. But if they did, he should get a nomination for how funny and how good he is in a supporting role here. Like this, it, like I feel like Lethal Weapon Two is almost only remembered for. It's been revoked in the diplomatic community, and that's like ninety five percent Family Guy, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, but and and, and and while we're there, like yeah. this is a movie that like yeah ex- only exists as a a meme, basically. Like now, yeah. Like it's a, it's a movie that basically only exists as uh, a, a light comedic reference, yeah, and like Family Guy. But like, I think Lethal Weapon two and I think one is a great movie. Lethal Weapon two scratches a lot of the same itches, but it's a little bit of a mess. Um, three and four, I don't really encourage anyone to watch while we're there. <laughs> if, uh, you're, if you're really if you're really trucking along and having a great time, like maybe watch three and four. But like, if you're like, you know what, these are fine. Don't don't proceed yeah. beyond here. I so I do think that all four of these movies work as a and I, I think that's why it's fun doing them. Yes. If you saw Lethal Weapon uh 
10 years ago and you're like, oh, should I pop in Lethal Weapon 3? Mm-hmm. There's no point. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, but I do think these these all four of these movies work on a very specific level where – and I think like it's actually hard to find a series of movies that works on this level. I actually think Die Hard, the first more movies work on this level um, where you kind of want brainless action movies. And not that the Die Hard movies or even these are brainless, but like – I want something uncomplicated and I just want to keep watching versions of it. And I do think this scratches that itch. The way I like picture this is like if you're like hung over on a Saturday morning or sick with the flu on a Saturday morning and you throw in Lethal Weapon and at the end of it you're like, that's really good. I should throw in Lethal Weapon too. I'm not doing anything else today. And then that gets over. You're like, I don't want to go to something else. I'm going to throw in Lethal – like – under that continuum, I actually think all four of these are worth watching. They do get progressively worse, but, like, no one is going to go and throw in Lethal Weapon 4. The only time you're going to watch Lethal Weapon 4 is if you just watch the first three Lethal Weapon movies yeah. and you're like, I should probably watch the fourth one. I even think in some ways uh, probably another close analogy to that is, like, Alien. The Alien series. Once I get done watching Alien and Aliens, I'll I'll throw in three and four. And I like three and four. But it's like I kind of want more of that. But I never I I never go and say, man, I haven't watched an alien movie in a while. F- three? <laughs> like yeah, three exactly. People I- watch three if they're going on a David Fincher binge or they just got done with Alien and Aliens and want more Alien. Like, th- that's yeah. the continuum. And I, I think on those circumstances – The only thing that would break that way- continuum is, is if you're like, eh, well, I'm going to jump back to, to Prometheus and Covenant instead of 3 and 4. Yeah. That'd be the only thing that would break that continuum. But I do, I do think that these movies work on that. And so many of these movies don't. You mentioned, like, you can watch fucking First Blood, which is so totally different than Rambo, uh, First Blood Part 2. Um even if you go there, you're probably not like, I should watch Rambo 3, which is fucking just garbage. Like, I think maybe the Rocky movies might exist on that continuum. Like, there's there's a few where it's like, I don't need to un- – I don't need to complicate my life with new characters, but I am just going to watch movies all day. And they, these work. So, uh, a couple years ago, we covered the Die Hard movies, right? Yeah. Um, I think it was Decem- a couple Decembers ago. Die Hard Christmas, yeah. Yeah, we 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 broke our cursed Christmas streak to cover the f- uh, five Die Hard movies, yeah. um, and the Die Hard battery commercial, most most crucially, um, and uh, and Mr. Ed's Christmas, and Mr. Ed's Christmas. Um, call, call back for any of you that remember them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember watching it, but you know. Um, but the point here is that uh, you were you were talking about uh, Rocky actually clicked this yeah. for me, which is that if you are enjoying the arc of watching these characters get closer and better and being more enriched people and reaching greater success and whatever metrics you know they particularly set, you, it will take you forward. I feel like that's why Alien Three yeah. is such a bummer, is because you're like, oh my god, Ripley can finally go live. The life that she deserved, which is like, yeah. you know, she's off. She's off the fucking yoke of Waylon Utani. She's got a kid. She's got a chance for love. Like, let's fucking go. And then Alien Three is like, sorry, not so much. Um, and uh, the 
Uh, with Rocky movies, you know, it, it can go either way. But, like, generally, if you're watching them, it ends up becoming... It, it eventually becomes a heartwarming story about how Rocky helped encourage the next generation of fighters yeah. or whatever. Um, with Lethal... With Die Hard... I do not watch Die Hard 2 because I want to see where John McClane is going because those movies only get more depressing as we discussed yeah, that one time. Very much so. He just gets more and more divorced as those movies go. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is not looking up for John McClane's yeah, personal the, the, life. The how divorced is he? It's like divorced in the first movie, not divorced, so divorced. So divorced. Abysmally like, divorced. <laughs> like his, 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 his kids don't like seeing him. <laughs> and then in the fourth one, he's so divorced that you're like, does he know these kids? Um, oh, yeah. In the fifth one, he's, he's yeah, I suppose his, his kids dealing fucking drugs with the Rhino. Who cares what that movie was about? Yes. I forget but if he was a secret weapon. agent. What I'll say, and the reason people still talk about wanting a Lethal Weapon 5, which has apparently been... It's the, they say they're making it. But it's apparently been scripted. Mel Gibson said that he's got, you know, uh, he's got a lot of the key people back on board. He says he's got a script. He says he's ready. Yeah, he he's said ready he's going to direct it. He said he's going to direct it because obviously Richard Donner has passed away. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I, you know how got, Richard Donner died, right? Uh, how? Mel Gibson's like, I want to make Lethal Weapon 5. <laughs> but it was after his, in- that was after 2003. So, yeah. Richard Donner's like, fucking kill me. <laughs> we are coming up on 20 years of finding out, finding, this, finding out that Mel Gibson sucks. Isn't yeah. that weird? Like, it was like 2000, the, the arrest happened in like 2003 or four, And then in 2006, I think, is when we found out that like, it was way worse than just being drunk. Well, then 2008 is when his, uh, I think his wife at the time, his like second wife after his first wife released all those tapes. I think that was like in 2008. Yeah. Bill, Bill Burr has a bit about, about how pathetic he sounds on those tapes. I know. We just, we and, just and kept, still... we just kept finding out he was worse and worse. And then like, and Bill Burr has this bit where he's like, I had Lakers tickets. <laughs> 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 like um, he sounds pathetic and awful. He's clearly but he, like here's, da- here's, here's clearly like in the lowest of, of low a person can be, like treating his wife and his baby poorly. Like and like the wife of racist his, for no. Yeah, I mean, like he's he is such garbage. And I I will say this, and this doesn't like mean anything on your own personal like boundary thing. I do feel. That it's easier for me to engage with the work of terrible people that they made before I knew they were terrible people <laughs> and already had some affection for it. Yes. Like, I know that's I know that's like insane, but you know what? I I'm not searching out the new Johnny Depp movie either. But like I'm watching I can watch Ed, Dead Man or Ed Wood. I'm watching Ed Wood, yeah. Like and it's it's it, like my my bond with those characters or those movies happened when I was like, what a funny guy. <laughs> this guy's a funny guy, he's a great actor, he's in some of those movies, where I do feel like to engage with and that's even true with like stuff I like it's it is it is very much personal and like his terribleness is should not be personal, but um, like, I also haven't watched, like, there's a few Peter Weir movies I really want to watch that I've never seen, like The Year of Living Dangerously and uh, Gallipoli. 
Gallipoli. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure how those fall. It's Australian. <laughs> um, but, like, I haven't watched him because I'm like, do I want to see a new Mel Gibson thing? But there is something about seeing a Mel Gibson thing that I've already seen and have some affection for that just it, – it goes down. I don't have to make any new engagement with the character because my impression of him is not based on – uh, who he is now, it's based on my memory of watching these movies when I was in junior high and high school. And in some ways, that makes it easier for me to see as Martin Riggs or or Mad Max as someone that's different than yeah. Mel Gibson in a way that if I'm watching a new movie with these people that I've never seen, it's like, oh, fuck, that's Woody Allen. Oh, fuck, that's Mel yeah. Gibson. Oh, fuck. Like, so, I mean, again – it sounds like excuse making. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that's why for me it is easier to watch these movies as opposed to like seeking out the new. Yeah. So, but you watched Dragged Across Concrete like thirty I, times. So I watched Dragged Across Concrete. It's and, your favorite movie of all time? Uh, no, it's not my favorite movie of all time. It is very good though. Like I, I've been meaning to see it, but I've had that problem. Yeah. Him and him and Vince Vaughn are both great in it. Like capital G, great in it. Yeah. Um. And it's a movie that has confounding <laughs> politics. Uh, it's a it's about movies. It's 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 both uh, calling these guys bad apples and calling out the system of cops, but also saying, "Well, the system kind of makes them into bad cops." Like it is a it's it's a confounding poli- movie politically. But as a rough-and-tumble 70s mean thriller that weaponizes Mel Gibson's natural charm and his ability to um, his ability to nail lines that are both dark and funny, like, yeah. it's, it's a genius piece of work in terms of, like, we're going to take a guy that has been canceled down to – he's been canceled so far he's gone through the Earth's core and has come out to in China. Like, he's – Yeah. He's, like, That's, we have, yeah. We, a guy that actually got canceled so hard he came out the other side and you're like, he's making a movie called Edge of Darkness? <laughs> um, like, yeah. we, we – uh, it, 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 to weaponize him in a bad cop movie um, has some strange morals. There's lots of people you could cast in that role, but to weaponize him and his star power for that is great. However, when you watch those movies in his eyes, you can see how the years have been unkind to him. And it's not just the way that actors look older when you haven't seen them in a while. <laughs> It's that uh, you can see that he is a man who has spent many nights in the dark night of the soul. And whether or not he came out a better person out of that, I don't know. I'm not his friends. I'm not his ex-wife. He probably just learned to not ever talk to anyone ever. We hope that that is the first level he learned (laughs) in 2008. (laughs) And then beyond that, it was uh, actually bettering himself because... I do know that he made, like, contributions to, like, uh, pro-Jewish causes at at various points and has done some work as well for um, domestic abuse uh, survivors and such because... So, it's an interesting thing to talk about. I think that you and I are never going to cover a Mel Gibson project and not be able to discuss the fact that in real life he was and may still be a bad person. Um, However... 
Um, these movies were all shot before that time. We knew. And, sh- and seen by <laughs> probably a, bad a, lo- then too. a lot, a lot of people. A, a lot like, of people. Like, uh, these movies are part of a cultural conversation. And so, thus, I think they are worth covering and bringing, you know, to the, the surface uh, again, even though these movies are kind of, I think, fading out of action movie um, notoriety. Yeah, I, I think that is true. Can I tell you a minor spoiler for the TV show The Curse that does something like sure. this that is insane. If you don't want me, if you if you Go. don't want a, a guest star from the episode five of Nathan Fielder's The Curse spoiled for you, fast forward two minutes. But the, is it, it like Gibson? no, well, but it's 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 that kind of thing where it weaponizes the actor's reputation for a character that he's playing in a way that blew my fucking mind. I was like, there's no way. Uh, they talk about this whole episode about not wanting to sell. They make these homes. They don't want to sell their homes to this. This one guy made an offer, but he's a terrible. He's like pro cop and he's a mega guy. And like they he just is a nut and crazy and. Uh, you know, is is like uh, mm-hmm. building like survival kits and stuff like that. And so they, he wants to buy this house so he can lit off the grid because he's anti-government. And then like they're desperate to sell the house. So they have him come. And uh, it's played by Dean Kane. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So Dean Kane is playing a lunatic who they don't want to sell this house to because he's a right wing. Uh, yeah. Lunatic. Like and it was like. Talk about the most genius casting of, like, anyone who knows who Dean Kane is nowadays and watching this and being like, he, like, you know everything you need to know about the character because the actor who's playing him embodies that character. Like, it, I mean, we obviously have a, a long history with Dean Kane on this on this show, but I was just like, does Dean Kane know that they're using him for this? And I imagine it's kind of <laughs> like I like I imagine that's a little I bit like Dean the, Kane knows that he has a mortgage payment coming up. I know, but it still is just like um it still was just like the the most insane stunt casting, and I it, it, talking about Mel Gibson dragged across concrete. Yeah, he has a complicated past and a lot of stuff, and I using him in a way that makes you, even though I haven't seen that movie, that makes you go, oh, I I am recognizing that this guy is a bad dude in a lot of ways because he's played by Mel Gibson, who I know intrinsically is a bad a bad person as as a movie watcher, such like a meta way to manipulate the audience into thinking certain things and like that's why i thought that cameo was just insanely brilliant if you like because just like who would like you got dean kane to play a dean kane <laughs> like a 2024 era dean kane anyways yeah uh but all right it is, it is genius but yeah but yeah Let's. We, I mean, we're, we not, we're not. We're not going to go to music. We're going to talk. Let's talk about this movie really quick. So I really quickly want to talk about the beginning because okay. this is this is a Mel Gibson thing where they begin and they're just fucking going and he's smacking the roof of the car yeah. and then at some point they get Mel Gibson to go uh, run out of the car because they're in pursuit of some yeah. bad guys. Uh, they're uh, affiliated with the South Africans in this movie um, who are smuggling gold cougarans. In a trunk of a car. Yeah. There's a helicopter involved in this. It's a this movie's about apartheid. <laughs> what? This movie's about apartheid. And immediately, <laughs> this movie is about like we're about apartheid, baby. And I don't know if you do. You know this in the first movie, 
Because Richard Donner is like a liberal. Yeah. Richard Donner in the first movie put uh, stickers and a couple other nods in the first movie about hating apartheid and wanting to end apartheid in the in um, the uh, Murtaugh's home. Yeah. Um, and then in the third movie, I think it is, um, there's stickers about hating fur. And so in my brain, I'm like, is Lethal Weapon 4 was supposed to be about <laughs> killing bad fur people? Well, um, look, have you rewatched 4 yet? Uh, no. It has about, that whole about runner right? about, yeah, but it has that whole runner about like, man, maybe that'll be a four hour episode about Murtaugh helping refugees yes, and not Chinese doing with the police, Chinese refugees, because he's freeing slaves. Um, which he feels like he's like indebted. These these movies do have like a, I like when I say like a. I think when you say like Richard Donner's a liberal, like obviously apartheid's bad, but it does feel like a a white liberalism. Like if that yeah. makes sense. Like yeah. I mean, like it's very much like a. I don't know. It's, when it, it's, I think it's complicated because when you, I mean, everyone who made these movies is a white person, and so everything they have Murtaugh say or do is like written by white people, and I mean that's it, more than we yeah. have to talk about here. But I do think like it's it's complicated and better discussed by people that aren't us. <laughs> yes, I, I I think that that's there's definitely we'll talk about let's talk about it a lot more next week because there's yeah. a moment where Murtaugh gets mad at a black teenager for black on black crime and uses yeah. the word genocide. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about the fact that like the term black on black crime is nonsense. Like yeah. every race kills their own people. Yeah. <laughs> it's just white kill who's close to you. Yes. If you're a white person, and we've, you are gen- we've gentrified America really well killed by a white so, person. Yeah, like we've, we've yeah. astronomically more likely yeah. if you're a black person, same Hispanic person, yada, yada, because yeah. Of the way we've segregated this country, yeah. um, you're you're right. And the well-meaning liberalism of the '90s, the reaction to like gangster rap and the LA riots and um, the Bloods yeah. and the Crips was to blame black people for their plight. And uh, we obviously in the show don't support that, but that seemed like a ne- neoliberal reaction, which was, you know, the cops need to reform, but also. We need to wag our finger at poor black people. Uh, um, when do these movies think the cops should reform at all? <laughs> they need more cops, less rules. There's dirty Just cops in. Th- there's dirty cops in three. That's the yeah, the but villain. but they're dirty cops. Like yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about it. Okay. So okay, yeah, I think three is probably the better location. Regardless, probably the better location to talk about that. I will say that in this movie, they can still sort of like press that button by being like Murtaugh and Riggs fucking hate. These Nazi apartheid, uh, you know, Dutch motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, and honestly, don't, don't Google Mel Gibson's father. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like Mel Gibson calling a apart apartheidist um, a Nazi and saying somebody and has like a, a, an yeah. Adolf Hitler haircut yeah. and shit, and then uh, shooting their fist t- fish tank or whatever. Honestly, feels pretty good. It's enjoy like. These that government suck. was objectively terrible. Whether yeah. it comes from a, a liberal or a neoliberal perspective, whatever, certainly game for that. And Murtaugh feeling some sort of like solidarity with the South African yeah. black majority population, which was being fucking stepped on by yeah. white boots. Um, 
absolutely 100%, you know, like, we're... We're, we're it's there. I I love I do love these movies when they're about like fucking shooting first and asking questions later when the villains are very shootable in a way that's uncomplicated morally like yeah you can shoot Nazis it's fine yeah you can, like the all these people are okay to kill yes. like uh so I I you're you're right it is fun to watch them just fucking get murdered and shot like good so, I, so an interesting thing I read about. So this movie basically casts. Let's talk about the diplomatic immunity thing real quick. So our villain is uh, running heroin and sending cash back to South Africa and hiding behind diplomatic immunity. Yeah. I did a little bit of research on diplomatic immunity. Um, the it's US, real. Yeah, it's it's real. It's you very read real. about it in your civics classes or whatever if you're if you're fifteen. Yeah. Um, and uh, the. The diplomatic immunity thing is is absolutely real. However, the way that they use it in this movie is like the way that it would be weaponized by like North Korea or something. And this is not the way that like South Af- South Africa would not trade their international pre- uh, reputation for drug money. Yeah, like they were an evil government, but they also needed to keep a clean face to other nations so that they could trade their slave labor. Well, and, like here- keep a, keep a clean face, but like they would never utilize diplomatic immunity in this way. This is a pretty naive understanding of it. However, in a eighties nineties action sense, like it's a, it's, it's a good keep- hook. It's a, it's good, a good hook. hook. Yeah. Well, yeah. The thing, the thing about diplomatic immunity, and there has been like incidents of like someone like fucking drunk driving and killing someone else. What they do. They yes. go and they they don't arrest them. They say get out of the country. <laughs> like that's what they do. They Leave get people now. out of the country. So and like sometimes the government will literally like put them on a military jumbo jet. Yeah, and they'll be in the back of a plane that's supposed to carry like fucking yeah. like munitions and be like like you are leaving out of the Munich airport today. <laughs> yeah, like you don't have a free pass to just keep killing people and doing crimes. You have a free pass from prosecution and jailing. But they will just let make you leave the country. So, like, the U.S. has done this in the past yeah. past decade, I think, uh, or a decade and a half ago, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, that is not abnormal. The fact that everyone's just like, sorry, they're just going to have to keep – they can keep killing everyone they want. <laughs> it's honestly – Also weird. Okay. Like, so, and they all have it. Like, there's yeah. like 80 guys who have it. Normally, it's just like the guy, not like yeah. every single person who's who's living at the embassy is like, no, you can kill. You can kill. You can hit. Yes. He can hit you. <laughs> it, is, it is like uh, – it is like if you're friends with uh, – you're like 23 and you're friends with somebody who's still in college and you're like – can we all use his his college discount? Yes, <laughs> his, his student yeah. discount. And the theater employee's like, fine. Yeah, just go ahead. He's like, I'm not gonna tell. But the theater employee who's 19 is not gonna tell a bunch of 23 year olds to like fuck off. Like, yeah, no, uh, yeah. So it's a really good hook, and it's it's one of the things that's most remembered, mainly because of that Family Guy joke that then got memed and was on YouTube and Twitter, yeah. and TikTok, and and everything. And this actor else. just died recently, like. Literally, like, while we were setting up this schedule. So, rest in peace to that guy. You played a real good piece of shit on screen. Yeah. Um, Rest in peace in the movie. But the other big difference here is that, obviously, so Martin Riggs lost his wife in the first movie. And in this movie, he, uh, because he's so hot, one of the people who's working at the consulate 
Um, the, is, the good Afrikaner. <laughs> yep. She falls in love with him. And uh, her name's uh, – the actor's name is Patsy Kensett. She was in an 80s punk band. Um, yeah. She's pretty cool. Eighth Wonder. Yeah. Um, but – they fall in love and she, she's she's not in on their dirty dealing. She's like the pretty face of the operation, uh, I guess literally. Um, and uh, once, once Martin Riggs is like, these guys are full of shit, they kill her, which it's okay to do because once again, they have diplomatic immunity and she has diplomatic immunity, but not like – I don't know how that works. Um, but they kill – Diplomatic immunity. But they kill her and then they tell Martin Riggs – P.S. Remember how your wife went off that truck? Uh, you were getting too close when you were in narcotics three years ago. I killed your wife, too. And that, of course, sets him off. Is like, they got them both. He literally, that's the call. He calls, calls Mertz. I was like, they killed them both. They're, they 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 killed them both, and he's like, both who? My wife and my yeah, girlfriend. Murtaugh shows up without knowing – shows up to the murder plan without knowing what is going on. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah, clear uh, in the script. And while we're here really quickly, uh, I read something about uh, how this movie was released unedited in South Africa. Oh. Um, in white and black populated areas mm-hmm. and in Johannesburg and also in rural, rural parts of the country. Um – and how audiences like the movie was a big hit in South Africa and audiences yeah. ate it up. And the reason is, even though a lot of the principal cast is actually British, not South African yeah. or Dutch, um, is that the they were so like the idea that they could be represented on screen at all was just so crazy <laughs> for them. Like. The, the, like uh, they were like you know he's not a very good guy but it was nice he, he probably was like oh you know he's not a very good guy but you know uh, <laughs> it's nice to see a South African on the screen yes it is it is funny that they this I mean this movie came out would you like a clock or something? during apartheid which yeah. I'll give it credit for that um, and if they're but, mad you can you can tell a South African is mad at you because they're um, they, the, you can hear their wooden clogs clonking away from you <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was part of Shane Black's script too, I believe, yeah. right? That uh, and that's dumb. I think he can just be upset that his his girlfriend got killed after his wife got killed, and like connecting those two dots makes no goddamn yeah. sense. Uh, sorry, I also just remembered a joke I saw on Twitter a little bit ago uh, about South Africans, and it's <laughs> and it's if you know what Diane Ford is, you need to get a colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah uh well and one of the goons that survived became elon musk which i think is oh man we should have had way more more uh truth and reconciliation committees after the end yeah, of apartheid we would have think so. taken that diamond mind away from who uh, elon musk's dad the last major thing to talk about uh i think is joe pesci who then shows up they don't know what to do with them in the next two movies um, he's still there and he's still welcome and he's still funny, but he plays this guy that was working with the South Africans to launder money. And it's like a, one of the things that gets super lazy after this movie is like how many threads just come together in their laps. Like lethal weapon three and four should just be like crimes happen near them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, lethal weapon four, they're fish. The way they get 
into the plot. They're fishing, and the boat almost, with transporting the refugees, almost hits them. And when they're like, hey, don't hit us, they open fire on them with AK. That's that's how the plot... Lead the Weapon 3, like, too, they're just sitting and, like, someone, like, fucking shoots someone next. They're like, oh, there's crime happening all around. Like, And Riggs can somehow make a 9mm bullet go, like, two miles. <laughs> like, I don't know. Whatever he's doing with a gun is different than whatever everybody it's, else is doing. It's pretty gun. lazy. Lethal Weapons 2 version of that kind of, like, again, you know what I'm saying? black connecting all the things but lethal weapons 2 version is like when they get them off the south african case they uh the the chief makes them watch this uh this uh, whistleblower um who's in witness protection before they can get transferred to the feds and the whistleblower joe pesci is the guy that was laundering money for the south africans that they were told to stay away from so he's like oh i know where they all are i'll tell you everything you need to know but they're in a stilt house which by the way in grand theft auto 5 um you recreate dragging down the stilt house which i think is pretty cool i haven't played that but that um really quickly while we're here joe pesci is in two three four renee russo is in three and four yeah um and chris rock is in four only um they kept adding people to the 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 marquee at the beginning yes so what I will say, and 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 uh, like I was saying earlier, like uh, Riggs, he gets sober off screen in this movie, and then in the next movie he forms He's quitting a, smoking. A, a, yeah, he starts quitting smoking. And he starts forming a relationship with someone who is actually available, yeah. um, and not dead. And in the fourth one, they have like they're like domesticated. He has he doesn't have. Uh, they still uh, live in they still live in a RV down on the beach, but she's pregnant. They're having a Yeah, game. he doesn't have uh, Trish Trish Murtaugh doing his laundry anymore. Um, yeah. So he, uh, the reason that you would continue to watch through these movies is the characters. Yeah. The sweet connection, the genuine friendship that, um, that Mel Gibson um, and uh, da- uh, Danny Glover have um is, is is you can feel it through the screen you can feel it in every one of the movies yeah. um and three they're like the best parts of three is when you can feel their genuine sense of friendship yeah. and in this one um i think that that this is the last time that it feels like it's kind of counterbalanced with a sense of drama because in yeah. three and four it's just like we're silly guys doing silly things but in yeah. this one um there's a scene where okay so basically here's the structure movie they identify that the um, South African government is hiding behind diplomatic immunity to yeah. sell drugs. They're using cougar ants in some way to wash the money. And then at the end of the movie, Riggs has gotten so pissed off at them, like his rage meter in a video game has filled up yeah. so much that he's just going to go and kill them. He knows where they are the whole movie yeah. and they continually get fucked with the entire yeah. movie until Riggs is like, I guess I'm just going to go murder him now because yeah. my rage meter is filled up enough. Like, yeah. that is the structure of the movie. And one of the incidents that fills up his rage meter, but not enough, um, is that they place a bomb under the uh, Murtaugh's toilet. Oh, yeah. Great scene. And Murtaugh sits on the toilet. Because they go, they go and kill all the cops. Like they And they, and they try to kill Murtaugh. And Riggs as well. They survive, but they say, hey, they didn't get our warning to stay away. Now we're going to show them. Which, again, uh, your diplomatic community doesn't make a targeted hit on most of the detectives in the LAPD. But, okay. (laughs) Still can't get them. And this is a very sweet, tender, and funny scene where Riggs and Murtar are talking each other through the toilet bomb thing. And Riggs is like... 
I'll die with you, basically. Like, yeah. I'm here to save your life, and if I can't save your life, I'm going to die with you. And it's a really tender, really lovely yeah. and warm moment. And I feel like after this movie, they become these moments become sillier and Only sillier. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the movie, Riggs and Murtar holding each other in their arms as Riggs is was destined to die in his arms. Yeah. Um, but, uh, alas, uh, money got in the way. Um, and very sweet, very wholesome yeah. scene of two men holding. I would say another thing that creeps into these movies is whenever, is that these two guys love to hug. They love to express genuine affection to each other's faces, but they always have to afterwards uh, make a gay joke. Yeah. And the gay panic just seeps into these movies more and more as they go. Where, like, at the end of the first movie, I cry every time. It's a beautiful ending where Riggs genuinely tells Murtaugh, like, you helped save my life. He gives him the bullet he was planning, a hollow point bullet he was planning on using to to kill himself. And he's like, you helped save my life. And Murtaugh's like, come in for dinner. And it's like this moment of male intimacy that you rarely see on movies. And it's such a fucking drag that all the male intimacy in all four movies is in some way touched by gay panic. Like, I I don't think it's as bad as you are thinking. I think each one has one, but they hug a lot. And every time they don't make a joke. And it's not like an excuse for when they do, but like, because they, they do do it. And like, one of the plots of four, which is so stupid, is like, which we don't even have to talk about then, is like, because so Chris Rock is the father of Murtaugh's grandkid, but he doesn't know that yet. And so Chris Rock is trying to be really nice to him because he knows eventually he's going to find out that he's married to his daughter. And Riggs plays along with him. Do you think he likes likes me? And Riggs is like, yeah, probably to fuck with him, which is like, mm-hmm. yeah. So it gets it only gets worse somehow. Yeah, and and so i I think that like that is it's it's bothersome to me how many gay panic jokes there are in three, and then in one, there's a moment where Riggs like pats out of fire on um, oh Murtaugh pats out of fire and Riggs is back, and Riggs is like, "Come on, man, what are you a uh, Fsler or something?" Yeah. and I didn't hear that until I got the blu-ray, and I was like. Come on. There's also, we talked about that thing about, like, uh, they find... I would let her let you burn and look gay for a second. (laughs) They also have that weird thing where they find out that one girl who killed herself at the beginning had done, like, lesbian porn. And and Riggs was, like, horribly disgusted. Like, what a sick... I can't believe someone would be into that kind of thing. Which we thought was so funny because, like, that's... Not... Who does a gay panic about lesbian porn in the 80s? Like... I think even five years later, I think the bro culture had moved progressively forward to the on, not on great, that. but not great it, place. It better intermediate step of lesbians are hot. <laughs> like I think they had moved. That was that was what progress looks like for the bro community. <laughs> They're doing better now these days. Um, but like at the time, that was their progress, and I feel like Lethal Weapon came before that progress happened. You talked about all the officers getting killed. Um, there is also a huge thing in this movie where, like, the police department drops the fucking ball on protecting literally any officer, even though yeah. there's just constant threats against their lives. Like, yeah. in the first one, at least they put a cruiser in front of the Murtaugh's house. Yeah. Like, in this one, nothing. So, by the time, it really feels like you're just, it's just a guy getting fucked with. And then in the third act, Rick, uh, Murtaugh and Riggs are like, 
I'm mad enough to do murder. I knew where yeah, you were the I, whole time. What's funny <laughs> is that, like, I know uh, Shane Black was like, my script was too dark and they wanted to lighten it and they didn't want me to lighten it. So they did their own thing. Uh, this movie's still plenty dark. Like, plenty dark. It's plenty dark. It is not – it is not – it's not three or four. It has a lot of like um, – again, they kill literally every named character in the police force that, that's not the, the therapist or the or the captain, anyone that was with them. Um, and they kill his girlfriend like in a very – Caesar drown – he like escapes and is, you know, drowned underwater. It's – I mean, I, I think it's still plenty dark and heavy while, while being maybe a, less dark than whatever Shane Black's – uh, initial version is um, really yeah. quickly because uh, we need to get to the ending. I'll just note that like Leo gets he gets a lot of positive uh, press. He's very funny. Joe Pesci's great. He was not in enough movies. I love the fact that Leo gets who is technically this criminal become like his character is best understood as a dog who immediately is like these two are my masters and they're my best friends. And he just, for the rest of this movie and every other movie, is just like, these guys are my best friends who can do no wrong. I can get annoyed with them as if a dog wants food and you're not giving them food at the time. And I'll bark a couple times to let you know I want to go outside. But I think playing this guy who has been a career criminal is like, no, these guys are my guys now. I just do whatever they want to do is such a funny character choice. And he is so enthusiastic throughout that even when they don't know what he's supposed to do in this movie and three is a real estate agent and four he just is a guy who hangs out with them um but um i it's what a great character choice for this guy who should have been a hardened criminal he has no qualms about turning everyone else in he has no qualms about getting himself shot he's like these are my masters now um like in a dog way not in apartheid way um (laughs) and i i just do whatever they say i go wherever they go and it's 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 great, and Joe Pesci's so funny at playing it. It is. It is. And it is a role that Joe Pesci was overqualified to play in Lethal Weapon Two. Yeah. And then, as every movie goes on, and Joe Pesci had done like Scorsese movies and My well, Cousin Vinny, and mm-hmm. you know, like he's done Raging Bull well before. Before, yeah, yes, yes. Like he's grossly overqualified by the time the first one comes out. Yeah, or the second movie second. comes out. His first appearance. Yeah, but by um, three, he's won a fucking Academy Award for Goodfellas and it, done My Cousin. This did. is a role that you have, like, Jack Black or Chris D'Elia or, like, either, like, a a guy that plays the lead sometimes, uh, like a Jack Black, or, like, a stand-up comic that is hot for no fucking reason, like a Chris yeah. D'Elia. And or, then like, Chris Rock in the fourth one. <laughs> yes, Exact precisely like Chris Rock was blowing up as a stand up. He was post SNL, but it was hard for SNL guys to actually make the jump to like quote unquote yeah, put, legitimate film. Put, put him as a funny sidekick, but the problem with *The Weapon* four is like eight of them are funny sidekicks. In they're the leads yes. too, and they're the secondary characters. You can't have another one. Um, I also think him and Danny Glover must have been got along great because. Not only is he in these three movies, Danny Glover and Joe Pesci made a very bizarre comedy that everyone's forgotten called Gone Fishing. In right after Lethal Weapon Four, it was the last movie that he did before his retirement. Before he was in De Niro's Good Shepherd in two thousand six, and then I know he retired again. But like that, Gone Fishing is a bizarre fucking movie that's just about Joe Pesci and Danny Glover as 
two old guys who are trying to go fishing together. I saw it in theaters. It's a, it's a nutso movie. Is it is it like a grumpy old men kind of thing? Like it's about two old. It is like a weird are... surrealistic comedy that was marketed as PG for kids. That is like. I, I saw it in theaters and I, when I was 15, I just remember being like, this is the weirdest movie I've ever seen. I've never watched it again. It might be something to try to do on the show at some point. But uh, yeah, that's Lethal Weapon 2. If we you're like, talk about the finale. Gotta talk about the finale. Though. God, all right, we got, we got a whole other one. <laughs> okay, so the finale of the movie, because I think the finale is really like where the, the, the dark bona fides of this movie show. Because the finale is a killer shootout. It's the best, it's yeah. the best shootout in the, in the movie um and it's brutal it's direct they drive a car in from a shipping container that's being hoisted on a crane into the ocean and money is trailing out of it like some of the imagery on this whole sequence is so great and there's a silhouette knife fight between Riggs and the like lead uh, enforcer of the um south african cartel and you really feel the ending, the yeah, but this last act is just, it, it's tremendous. It's well worth the weight and the rage. And Mel Gibson's intensity here is matched by um, something I talked about at the beginning of this episode, which is, like, his physical form. His, like, athleticism and his ability to just fucking move. He doesn't look like any other star. Like, he's limber but wild and the important thing is i talked about the trampoline thing mel gibson does not look like a guy that like got into running because a trainer worked with him on having precise running form mel gibson looks like you or me had to get in shape really quickly at gunpoint like Mel Gibson has this, he can run really fast, he's really limber, but he's chucking his arms. Yeah. He's chucking his knees when he's running. Yeah. When he's sliding, it looks like he's yeah, actually His bang- collar of his shirt is like, like, it, yeah. Yes. It's not like a, it's not like an action star, like a Tom Cruise is the kind of the, where he's like, I am perfectly moving my motion. He is, he's like an unhinged dog. He's like something that's been like yes. off the leash in his attack. Yes, and and I love that for that, especially in the beginning, the first first uh, sequence of the movie, you let to see, you get to see him run like that. You get to see him in the first movie when he's chasing Gary Busey, run like that. Like that athleticism matched with the charisma throughout the movie, and his relationship with Murtaugh and his developing relationship with Getz is going to carry us into the next movie because we can't resist but keeping this rolling. And like Aaron said earlier. The reason you keep watching these movies is partially for the action sequences, but it's it's mostly because you want to see what happens with this particular yeah. weirdo grafted bonded fu- cop family. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, next week, we're getting another person added to the marquee. It's Gibson. It's Glover. It's Pesci. And one Rene Russo as, I don't know, I forget her character's name. <laughs> Kate Croat I want to say I want to say Mason Mason Uh, Uh, We'll see you next week on We Love to Watch
Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. <laughs>